Squawking Dead. <rire> le podcast Pulverizing, l'épisode oh. du Walking Dead Universe. That's not gonna be, that's not gonna be the intro, is it? Yes, it is. Un poquito, el nuzo. Nope. 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 Um, And that ain't even right. <laughs> no, that's, that's not at all right. Sometimes we give you news, sometimes we make you laugh, but most times we go deep. And today I'm here with Bridget. That's ko-fi.com slash punky brewster. That's P-U-N-K-Y-B-R-U-I-S-E-T-E-R. And survivors to your member Aliza, Aliza Jones 71 on Instagram and JonesAJ6 on Twitter. And today we're here to talk to you about Tales of the Walking Dead's fifth episode in its first inaugural season titled Devon featuring A-Train. A-Train. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not even that I think of A-Train every time I watch it. It's that I think of Sharendy thinking of A-Train as she watches it. And so it comes back around to me. And then now that's in my head. So my second watch, I was thinking, oh, I bet Charity thinks that this is A-Train coming out right here. Anyway. Obviously, he didn't run fast enough. See, that's it. There you go. So you've watched the boys, right? Right, Aliza? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Okay. Well, what did you think of it? I'm just now I'm just curious. I did well till I got to the hero gasm. And then that was just a little too much to me. <laughs> I expected it to be worse. That's that's what I thought of Hero Gasm. I expected it to be far worse. Well, I, I mean, they do have to, I'm sure, do some limitations to put it out for public viewing because I heard the comics were pretty. But Graphic. you know, giant penis snake coming at me through the door, and I, I can never eat calamari again. I mean, um, <laughs> oh no, or I just, octopus. I just have a picture of the deep screwing an octopus, and I'm thinking to myself, oh. I can't do that ever again. <laughs> I was like hungry. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> can't give up the octopus. I don't, I don't know. It's oh. technically squid, so you're safe. I know. Yeah. That's that's what I was saying. I love octopus personally, so it's like mm, I'm give too me more. chewy for my liking. Yeah, you have to have the right kind. Japanese know what's up. I sure hope Negan shows up and kills Homelander. I'm tired of him. <laughs> so I know we're not talking about this, but. What I noticed in the last episode of this season, but Jeffrey Dean Morgan does show up in one of the photos in the last episode. And I think it, the photo is of the comedian, Oh, by of the his... way, from his role on uh, The Watchmen or Watchmen. I forget which Watchmen. one it is, the movie or the show. I wish I could get the freeze frame on that, but it was such a good foreshadow. I'm like, is, is he going to show up in the show? Or is this universe connected to the DC sort of universe of the Watchmen? So it got me thinking like, okay, this could just be a good comic book reference or it could be foreshadowing way in advance or desire is from uh, mm. the showrunners to actually have him show up. So uh, whatever, I'll pull up the screenshot. I'll share it with Sharon D. I should have shared it with her a long time ago, but I had it in my head for such a long time. I had to spill it out. So well, it makes sense because Eric Kripke did Supernatural and worked with him already. So yeah, there you go. Desire fulfilled. Mm-hmm. As soon as yeah, they definitely. get um, Jared Padalecki on there. <laughs> yeah, the tri- so it's like, that's why they got Jensen Ackles. <laughs> get the trifecta. <laughs> and exactly. uh, they've got uh, the guy who plays Bobby Singer. I can't remember the actor's name, but. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which one's Bobby Singer? He's Bobby Singer in Supernatural, but he's Senator Robert Singer in The Boys. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, they did that on purpose. How about yeah. that? Oh, wow. That's great. I did not know that. I don't watch Supernatural. I don't know. Everybody hates me now. <laughs> Oh, I loved Supernatural, but yeah. I tried to get on that train. Just same same thing as X Files. Sorry, he's played by Jim Beaver. Jim Beaver, okay. Jim Beaver. I wanted to get that name in there. Right. I mean, who doesn't want to get some Beaver in there? 
<laughs> Stop it, David. Stop it, David. He's the gun seller in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Okay. So in terms of first impressions, this is going to be an interesting one to talk about because uh, some mixed reactions, at least behind the scenes. I didn't get enough info. Obviously, we're recording prior to the episode airing publicly, so and it's not going to be published for a while. But at least behind the scenes, there have been some mixed reactions. And I think we're divided kind of in half, but there is a good gradient in terms of reaction. Some people have said, oh, this is a little confusing. I had to watch it in pieces because I didn't I couldn't watch any more of it. For me, at least, I loved it. I think the mark of a good episode is that when it gets you to keep thinking about it after it's done is is just the mark of a really good good episode. Now, I can see how that might be a bad thing. Like, oh, I'm still trying to figure this one out. Mm, uh, oh, it's so confusing. Oh, I don't like it. But for me, it was a good thing. It's like getting a present or a gift that's all mashed up. It's like, here's your present. And then you're like, what is it? You'll have to open it up to find out. So for me, it was like about peeling or unmushing the present and like, oh, this is like a, oh, it's like a pop art something or other. Oh, it's beautiful. So it kept unraveling in my mind as I thought about it. And I also recognize that this episode would not have been interesting at all had it been linear. Because it's just about a story about a guy who walks into this place and it's like, oh, we could be who we want to be. Who cares? Who cares? But filming it this way where he had, where we and him are trying to figure out what's going on after losing your memory that made it so much more interesting because as you had to kind of piece everything together like why is this so significant what why is a pacifist as we learn did he murder this person you're constantly on guard like and you could easily like in the walking dead universe you can easily see how one could have done something like that because people turn out to be monsters even people who forget things so it was one of those things where it had me on the edge of my seat and then there's this whole other narrative of the truth that kind of runs alongside it until you finally reach that point where they kind of meet. And I kind of like that. I really did. Sherry says, I felt like Kim putting on her blank white puzzle together. Yeah. I mean, initially at first until it actually kind of made sense. From the very beginning, I loved it. Now, there were points where I wanted, I had to like rewind because I wanted to pay more attention to something that sparked me, but I watched it four times. Wow. And then Sharon D got me hooked up with Mikey this afternoon. And so he and I had Mikey Zemus, to be yeah. clear, who is director EP extraordinaire. Big Kahuna. And we had some conversations this afternoon and I was quite giddy that everything I thought he was like, Oh yeah, that's what we were going for. And I'm like, yay. It was very starkly different from anything that we've seen. As is tradition with this show so far. Yes. Or custom, <laughs> custom. Right. And and this really touches on a lot of what well, human nature or the lack thereof and kind of falling back to old ways. The Stranger, The Outsider, the film noir. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just so much into it, packed into it. I think I was kind of like everybody else at first. I was like, oh, this is crazy. What are What's going on? But then yeah. it was like, okay, I got it. I know what you're doing now. I see. And it reminded me a lot, for some reason, it just, and that just came to me, was Jacob's Ladder, the movie, Jacob's Ladder. Yeah, yeah, similar, right? He's Mm -hmm. trying to Mm -hmm. piece together what's happening. This Mm -hmm. is with uh, Tim Robbins? Tim Robbins, Tim Robbins, right? Old 70s movie, right? I think, if I'm not mistaken. But the movies that I felt that it was characteristic of, Michael O'Grady, those were some of the ones that they looked at. Spellbound by Hitchcock and Blue Gardenia by Fritz Lang and, some degree, Psycho. I taught intro to literature when I was in grad school. When I got to the finish of the first run, 
I was like, I've got to kick that in. I've got to go deeper into it. And so that's when I really started kind of dissecting it and really thinking through the themes and the motifs and the deeper meanings to to what this show, what this episode was about. It was interesting. It was definitely, yeah, very film noir aspects to it. And we'll get into more of that because there's some specific aspects of it that were, were very similar. For some reason, and I couldn't place why, because I was getting that old horror vibe, psychological horror, not mm-hmm. not traditional mm-hmm. horror, but psychological horror. And so I, I knew there were some Hitchcockian kind of themes in it, but I was getting like a real Stephen King vibe from mm-hmm. this. Well, hello, there was Maine. something in particular about it. exactly and then i looked into the acadians and they're from maine and that's where stephen king sets most of his novels and so <laughs> there was something about it that just kind of gave me that vibe and it was like it was a story that i had already seen but i couldn't place exactly what it was it was driving me crazy while i was watching it i'm like i'm like this is exactly like nothing i can't come up with what it's exactly like so you were like but it's Blair. like so many different things and you had deja vu basically so. i guess so memento came to mind yeah. um, as like charity said in the chat like charity mm-hmm. said there were elements that were yeah very similar to hitchcock very similar to uh to stephen king and there were just some pieces that that i was like this this really reminds me of like oh i don't know the salem witch trials or right, of the or joan of arc Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. and you know, of the and French, so, yes, <laughs> and also the potential of he's not being burned at the stake, but it's almost like right, that, the, like the kind we're of all turning against you, kind of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. so there was a there was a lot to it that reminded me of a lot in history too, and so I think maybe that's why I couldn't quite piece together like exactly what it was that it reminded me of, but it reminded me of many different things, and that's why I said I like it, but I can't quite articulate why I like it is because I cannot nail down exactly the feeling that I get when I watch it because it's deeply disturbing. Yeah. There are some big themes like uh, mom mentality, which I think the mist was Stephen King as well, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So it, which deals with the same mentality, like who do we become, which the, again, who do we become when we, when we all get hysteric or, you know, and, and I, I actually thought of the monsters on Maple street from the twilight zone. Mm-hmm. The monsters mm-hmm. are out on Maple street. Uh, which deals with a neighborhood dealing with uh, who is the alien. And there are like all these signs, you know, who among us are the aliens and there are air raids and, and landing, et cetera, UFO spotted in space. And they're and basically the aliens were testing out the community to see how long it would take for them to unravel as a community instead of come together. And they timed it and everything. They, so there are elements of that as well. The mist, same kind of mob mentality, which is like my biggest fear, by the way. I have nightmares about that being accused of something so this is really this really hit me when when he was at the tombstone and everybody's like murderer and they tied him up and he was like i don't know what i did i didn't do it probably because that's not who i am and that i literally have dreams about just that and it's the worst as a kid accused of something that you didn't do hello childhood and i really wanted to know if they were going to stone him Oh, yeah, that was that was looming in the back of my mind. If they had gone through a stoning, it would have been just that much better instead of putting him in a car to be crushed. Which is almost like anti, I'm not going to say anticlimactic because all the thoughts in my head were worse than what they chose as punishment. I should and I should have known better because obviously this is the Walking Dead universe and the punishments are always going to be stranger than we think it's going to be. Oh, you're going to be eaten by us like Terminus or you're going to be I don't know, you're going to be put on 
a chain link fence like this, like the saviors. So stuff like that, like, oh, that's your yeah, well, I guess that's how you go, by the way. So then when I found out it was the car, I was like, OK, not bad, but I'm still scared. You know, yeah. <laughs> mob mentality. I think for me, what hit in terms of, oh, this sounds like something or this feels like something. And it's something that you said, I think, Eliza, what's like the film noir mm-hmm. aspect of it. Of course, it's the way it's filmed, like the darkness and moving around in the dark, the lantern. The flashbacks, the flashback sequencing. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, the uh, the using the old film effect, etc. Mm-hmm. In the the uh, exposed film effect, where kind of when his memories were going away, the, the film got exposed and the film tore, etc. Well, and of the sound light. distorts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The sound so, distorts are those two. For me, though, it was the music in the beginning, at least, uh, and through most of it was the uh, muted trumpet sound, which is very like mm-hmm. Louisiana film noir horror sort of situation. And then when I actually looked up the Acadians, I found out that they were originally from France. They were brought to New France. And I, I couldn't look up exactly what caused them to have to leave France, but I do know that they got deported from New France, which is basically under British rule, became under British rule, and they were exiled from those territories through to the Americas. One of them was obviously New Acadia, which was uh, obviously Maine and that mm-hmm. whole region. But the other region was Louisiana, and which is... Ah. So the Louisiana Acadians became the Creoles. Creoles. They, they found mm-hmm. the Creoles, the Bayonne, the, uh, the variations thereof. Right. So they had that New Orleans trumpet, music, etc., culture food mm-hmm. even their their french sounds different but they're of the same ilk they're both technically acadians mm-hmm. um, well let's just say yes for now the first time i heard the french i thought oh good we're in france and we're going to see variants and and then i was like oh we're oh, in maine we're just in maine <laughs> we didn't Ew. even make it to montreal <laughs> yeah charity says i appreciate that they tried something different and that they shot it beautifully i agree the cinematography great great mm-hmm. But the horror slash noir thing, it just isn't my cup of tea. You mean you don't you don't like black noir? <laughs> we talked about the boys earlier. Anyway, and this is just another one of the th- those things that they get to try out is is how would that fare? And Sharon is saying it reminded of Memento. And yeah, I get that, too, because you get that. Bits of flashes and there was like a whole run in the late in the mid 40s to the early mid 50s of, of the film noir. There's a glut of it. Sharon's giving me Rachel's take. Rachel said that it's harder to do this kind of episode in an anthology style series because we don't know the characters and it's hard to build up any sympathy for them in the flashes. But I think that's a good point. I think that it's because they filmed it in this way. It allows us to actually build sympathy for these characters as we go, because otherwise we might we might go, oh, here's a story. It ended mm-hmm. the end. And the mm-hmm. fact that he has memory loss, we wouldn't care about. Like, oh, they're just using it as a plot point, And now he doesn't remember the relationship that he had with Nora. Uh, who cares? Uh, in, the, in the middle? What? Mm-hmm. It puts the viewer on the same plane as the main character. Because right. he's waking up and he doesn't know what happened. He doesn't know what's happened. And neither do you. So right. suddenly you're sharing that experience with him, which creates like kind of a, you know, it's a, like a small, bond. immediate connection that you have. Yeah, it changes our point of view completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it immediately allows us to bond, at least with the protagonist. And even along the way, which this is what I like the most, because I'm still unraveling this episode as we speak. Even the bonds that you start having throughout the flashbacks with certain characters, even the ones who are kind of off, they change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, oh, I'm supposed to not like you now. 
and like all the way down the line like arno uh yeah <laughs> nora even nora at the end that was the one that that hurt me the most in that by the time you get to it devon is there too and so you're like with him all the way and you're like oh, now i'm supposed to not like you because he doesn't like you and i am with him it's like you told me we can decide who we want to be mm-hmm. and even you decide to be who you what everybody else is being right now you know, choosing mercy quote unquote which is amanda's word sometimes exactly. murder, murder is mercy. mercy i think it was a really solid choice to cast jesse t usher in this role as devon i don't know that another actor could have been immediately as likable there's just a quality about him that really kind of draws you in and the fact <laughs> that he was so vulnerable in all of that and you're like i don't know what's happening and he's like he's begging for them to stop and i and i don't know like did he kill them but i i feel bad in this moment so maybe he didn't and but you want to and you want to like him and you want to go on that ride with him and say like no he didn't do it he's saying he didn't do it so he didn't do it but you are left the whole time going like maybe he did i don't know right right because this is the walking dead universe because that's that's the twist we have in our minds all the time when it comes to the walking dead universe oh maybe he did but there's an explanation for it maybe so i i liked that it was it was him i don't know if you'd shoved someone else in because he's not like incredibly well known as an actor you know he's like he's making his way now i don't know that it would have gone as well with someone else i just i just found him very likable in this role it was easy to kind of get swept up in it because of his quality of acting i almost thought that it worked against him that he was in the boys as a train and no in a good way because it allowed that possibility of him actually murdering the kids slash, you know, for like at that time being when we found out that there were kids, I'm like, okay, kids were murdered now. He's an outsider. He's a train. He murdered the kids. <laughs> so like that little bit more possibility that he killed the kids because of his super speed. I think because he looked so different just from the very beginning, it didn't connect with me that this is a train. It was like, I, it was like a separate entity completely. He was selling a very different character. Oh, I mean, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. I and, agree. I agree. And he did it well. Yes. Yeah. But here's the problem. Sharendy invades my ever weaking thought. So there you go. <laughs> That's I blame this all on Sharendy. And I hope you're flattered. Let me just read what she says here. She says, oh, obviously, Arno, uh, Arno and Arno, Arno from Fear the Walking Dead, Arno from this episode, which is it's Amanda's son. And we don't get his father's name who died over the wall, let's say. we It's another um, imaginary hat moment. Right, right. But, but Arno. Uh, right, to Arno. Arno, is, not Arno. Is um, translated as eagle. And oh. is the Arn is eagle. And the A-U-D is power or leader. So powerful eagle. Oh. Or an eagle, which is a predator. Right, I was going to say Arno oh, is really just short. That makes sense then. Yeah. It's short for Ar- Arnold. So it's a French for Arno. There you go. Anyway. Oh, okay. So I see what you're saying as a predator. Okay. That works on sure. both cases. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> flip yep. the script. I mean, we often refer to eagles as noble creatures for some reason, but they're kind of I mean, yeah, vicious. they're predators. Sharon D says, I just watched Five Days at Memorial, which is about, this is on Apple TV, by the way, which is about the hospital in New Orleans after Katrina, when they had to euthanize patients, they couldn't evacuate. I was thinking about that every time they said murder is mercy. Ooh, you're getting me to want to watch that more and more, by the way. I, I, know, I almost I found I myself clicking on it. <laughs> it. 
I, I'm too busy watching the morning show. Finally, I just forced myself to start it. And now I can't stop. Serenity says it's the uh, five days of memorial is heartbreaking, infuriating, but so good. Yeah. So I guess I'm in for that. If when I start watching it, the glasses that are put on him at first, and you don't realize this until the very end, until you connect it, if you even connected it, was Mar Martin. Martin's glasses. Mm. Now, who is Martin? Martin, at the end, they describe is one of the first murdered children mm -hmm. that are no murders. Amanda is the one who gives Devon the glasses. So it's, it's, it's kind Sorry. of interesting that she happens to have the glasses of this murdered child. Mm. Yeah. That, that she was covering up for with mm -hmm. with Arnaud, or covering Arnaud's murder exactly. Right. So it's these little Easter eggs into her involvement with Arnaud, and with it he can see. <laughs> so, and who else but to uncover all of this but the very person who was accused, which is Devon. It wasn't until the second watch through that I noticed that the line that he's saying over and over again makes so much more sense once you've actually seen the episode. You will the, see. The je verrai. Je it, means, it means I will see. He says that over and over again. And it's like the first time through, you're like, okay. You know, it's just like, it's just a thing that he says. But the second through, the second time through it, or even just recollecting like what you've watched, it just has a more powerful meaning. More oh, yeah. that point, we will see yeah. literally and figuratively of what yeah. happened and what what is the clarity of the moments yeah vision, playing with vision playing with figurative mm -hmm. vision mm -hmm. yeah i like mm -hmm. that I, I love that especially since the first glasses he wears is the murder trip murder child glasses it's kind of like oh okay give it time you'll know the significance of the thing you're actually using to see so and i'm sorry i laughed at walker amanda <laughs> at, at mean, first or but, yeah at first i mean and his line, if you can walk, you can talk. I'm like, oh, this is classic. This is going to be good, you know. <laughs> Before we get too far, I just I want to comment on Sharon's comment. She says, I will see lends more to my thread about perception because Sharon has a running theory that each episode has something to do with a perspective, like a, an aspect of perception. Like mm -hmm. first episode was perception of what was it? Others or how you see yourself. It also does correspond with the mental illness thing that I, that I had mentioned. So so we're still, we will not know until the end if both will stand up or if one of them will get knocked down. I'm a really big fan of true crime. <laughs> you, okay. you may or may not know this about me, but I love oh, true crime. Yes, tell us more. No, I love true crime. And I lived in Milwaukee for a while, if that tells you anything about like why I love true crime and like knowing a lot about it. There's a lot of serial killers from Wisconsin. So I lived in an area of Wisconsin where a very famous serial killer lived named Jeffrey, Jeffrey Dahmer. Dahmer. <laughs> and, so, and so I know a lot about serial killers. Anyway. Serial killers almost always have a personality disorder of some type, usually something along the borderline personality disorder, uh, narcissism. It's also very common that they suffer brain trauma at a very young age. That tends to be a thread. It's not like a 100% of them have brain trauma, but a lot have had some sort of brain trauma at a young age. Also, um, they've had really hard childhoods. And so we see that in this, right? A kid born into this world or young into this world of, Namely of craziness, Arno. right? Arno. Okay. And, you know, we've seen it in The Walking Dead with Lizzie, 
we saw some of those tendencies too there. Now, I'm not saying Lizzie would have been a serial. That's not what I'm saying. But just that that same premise exists already in, in the Walking Dead universe. So yeah, this is just yeah. kind of bringing that concept back. I see it as, as another episode that checks that box of like, there is an element of mental illness in this, like for sure. <laughs> and a bit of that unlikely duos unlikely duos forced <laughs> to work together yeah <laughs> namely devon and the walker essentially walker yeah. amanda walker amanda so wait elisa you said chavire chavire to lose yes. one's mind is that french well i was doing just some background studying on the acadians and it okay. kind of went through some of their languages that they use their beliefs and things like that and that one line popped up and it was just kind of like an independent paragraph with one sentence and i just had to write it down because i thought oh this is just so apropos for the episode we watched and on the both, note of mental you know, illness Devon feeling like he's losing his mind and arnold obviously having gone a little mad the whole mob mentality where they've kind of lost their minds oh, yeah. on the reasoning and rationale levels it was like one line that i found and i was like oh this is just so apropos because i found it when looking up the information about the acadians that was literally the one line was the word and the definition and it stood alone by itself independent of everything else and i mean there was no follow-up it was just you know they were talking about the different words and languages and i was like wow okay maybe you're here for a reason Sharon says Arnaud is what Carl could have been. Carl Grimes could have been from The Walking Dead. I don't feel that. I could see Sam probably could have turned into well, that. Let's but. define what, what Arnaud is. Arnaud, like you said, could have had childhood trauma, maybe a head injury, etc. He does obviously have a scar, and we could talk about that just after this. And whether or not he got the scar after or before the child murders is something that I do want to talk about. And it makes him want to, whatever the trauma is, maybe the trauma of the world uh, falling the way it did growing up in this this apocalypse but either way he made him want to murder children to save them a from being monsters or making having to make the dis the decisions that devon and amanda are talking about should i not kill should i kill and save them from that choice right and b saving them from the horrors of the world right i mean then there was the incident that amanda touched on very quickly when they're at the dinner table and he says, you know, mothers are mothers. And she's like, well, since that episode. So I guess, you know, when he had Devon gone out with his father right. and he did not, you know, and he almost didn't make it back. And my mind went to, well, he's doing this on the premise of I'm going to save the children from what this is. Reminded me of Dee when she was about to kill Lydia. I'd never thought of you in this world. And, you know, again, with Carol, how she looked at Lizzie and said, you know, you, you can't be in this world. And Sam couldn't have made it into this world. I don't feel that way about Carl. I just I just don't have that feeling that he would have become the savior of children by murdering them. But but I think I see what Charity means, because a lot of the, the term like the term mercy is inverted in this episode to mean, mur you know, murder. Right. Murder is mercy. Right. So it's weird right. considering like Rick Grimes says. May my mercy, well, which is a Sadiq quote, really. Right. But may my mercy prevail over my wrath, meaning mm -hmm. don't murder, <laughs> which Michonne carries on just before she leaves when she spares Virgil by saying, you know, all life has value. As long as you have breath, you can contribute to this world. You can turn things around. We decide who we are. I mean, Devon kind of says it repeats those words in a different way in mm -hmm. this episode. You know, we decide who we are. But I just think like Nora... 
I mean, doesn't listen to that herself. Not thinking he was going to save the children from, you know, being killed by walkers or from turning into horrible people. I mean, well, I, I think just said about, earlier, I, I was saying how like, yeah, exactly. Horrible people. Meaning, but meaning also, let's not think of children as born into sin, but let's think of their point of view or let's say Arnaud's point of view. As long as you're with me here locked in this place until I kill you, you're innocent. You know, I'll take care of you, etc. I'll coddle you. I'll, I'll, I'll subdue you, etc. I will save you from both having to make the choices that, that Devon has to constantly make, meaning that kind of pacifism, like I can choose not to kill or Amanda, kill them before they kill you. These, these extreme choices of how to live in this world, but also save you from the horrors of this world, that the horrors that you were born into, which I had to face with my father over the wall. Why don't we drill down a little bit further into Arno Scar, his father taking him beyond the wall? Because I do want to talk about that too. Oh, and Sharon, says, in addendum to the Carl comment, without a village to raise him, Carl could have been a twisted psycho. And actually what's funny is, with the village, Arno turned out to be a psycho. And that, it's inverted. Right. And if you, if you think about it, on The Walking Dead, Michonne's friend that she met Jocelyn. back up with. Yeah. And how all those kids were twisted. I think it was 913 Scars or something. Scars. Yeah, scars. Yeah. And how all of those kids with a village, you're right, you know, with a village even. They became all became twisted. Twisted, yeah. <laughs> like her. It's like, but because of the horrors of this world, right? Mm-hmm. They even had walls, quote unquote, walls. It's really a big gate. <laughs> in the forest to protect their community because they're I right. think they're inland they're in a peninsula probably mm-hmm. so they have this big gate in the forest that, that, to protect them so even with walls even with the village Arno became a psycho not the children Arno well Arno is like a teenager I think late teens maybe early twenties well, who's to say he wasn't already he wasn't I mean some people are just born bad some people are just bad seeds and Amen. I really got that's where I got the psycho feeling from was his relationship with his mother. You know, mother understands me, mother protects me, mother loves me. I felt like psycho all over again. I don't know if I generally agree with that, but, or genuinely agree with that. Do you think Arno was just born bad? That'll come from a very personal set of beliefs that I have. I'm a Christian, and so we believe everyone's born bad. Oh. Original okay. sin. Yeah. Original you, sin. You all have it, so... Yeah, we have a modified version of that, essentially. But uh, whatever, I'm not even going to go there. So that's my belief system, is that everyone is bad, deep down. If you've known anyone in your life, other than yourself, you know that that's true about yourself, but also the people around you. Innately, we have selfish tendencies and and greed and and it doesn't have to be murdering. It doesn't have to be murderous. You know, we all have traits about ourselves that aren't great. Right. right. It's just it's just the way humankind is. And there's a lot in life that pushes us towards those negative traits, let's mm-hmm. say. So, yeah, like, I, of course, he was born bad. Everyone's born bad. That's <laughs> Sharon. He says we're all infected. We well, are all infected go. with human nature. We're all infected with it already. <laughs> you take a look at the story of Lizzie in The Walking Dead, and it was very clear that she already had tips and tricks that she was meant to use when she was feeling overwhelmed well that to me tells me that she had seen a therapist before the fall it could have exhibited itself at a very young age but i don't know we don't know yet there's not enough science there there's not enough there for us to truly know what causes or leads to people becoming killers or a psychopath like lizzie was enabling mother 
the mother, you know, she knows me, she cares for me, she protects me, mother loves me. But she was the enabler and, and, and you know, she kept it hidden and she kept the souvenirs where they were and the drawings on the walls of the children and stuff. So there was something truly exceptionally gross about when Devon is sitting in front of the group and, and you know, he's been bandaged up. He's got the, the bleeding bandaid on his forehead and he's talking to the people and Arnold comes up and is like pouring over his mother. She was our leader and she loved me. And the way that he said it, I was like, why are you saying it like that, dude? You know, this is before we know what he had done. There's something about the way that he says it that makes me think she loves me despite what I am. There was something just like really disgusting to me in that a moment. A little Oedipus complex. I, yeah, something about it was just like, oh, like there was just something there that I was like, this skeeves me out. And that was before I knew. I just thought of that moment as more like, he's making a big show of this. Do you know? That too, <laughs> that's, right? It's that's all really that was running through my mind. over the top. Like, right. because the thing oh, is, is, if he's is truly... Me? If he's truly a psychopath, does he really care? Or is he more worried about getting caught? And so he feels like if he play, makes this big shot of it, this is what a normal human would do in this in instance, right? Because right? right. they learn sociopaths learn, and psychopaths learn how to act. That's how they get as away though they're society. feeling the feelings that are normal for that situation. And that's how they go through society. I think what's great about this and how on the line this is for me is that Unlike a psychopath, Arnaud knows what he's doing is wrong and does not want to be caught. I mean, I know that psychopaths have a, have an, a high tendency or high inclination for self-preservation at all costs, but there's this weird way. That, okay, he's pleading with Devon instead of actively trying to murder him and not caring about his own regard. So there's like this weird playfulness to his whatever it is that he is. I'm not ready to say he's a psychopath. I, I do feel... I do, I do feel like there is something, you know, I, I feel like what he's doing is more born out of trauma, that he can't help himself from killing these kids. And for a specific reason that maybe he experienced himself, maybe it was over the wall. And that's kind of what I want to talk about now. I think the original mission over the wall was for Arnaud, Arnaud's father to kill Arnaud. Mm. Like to kind of in secret put him down. And then when he came back, Amanda was kind of like, well, I lost my husband. I'm not going to lose my son. Mm. That's what I thought. Because there's the scar. The yeah, scar is I didn't, unexplained. I didn't think that. I didn't think that. But when you're now that you're saying that, if they all went together, which is what they said, right? They all took the trip over the wall. And Amanda figured out that that's what her husband was going to do. She could have killed her husband to protect Arno. Right. But it was just Arno and his father. I thought and it was he, all three of them. I. What do you guys think? Because I, I, I thought, thought it was, it was just, just father Arno and, and his father. Okay. Yeah. yeah. She said when they when they didn't make oh, it. So although, I don't remember. Although I let's it was say it is that makes it even. I mean, either cooler way, right? Either tighter. way. As we were kind of talking through this, because I really hadn't thought about the next scar. I don't know why it didn't trigger anything for me, but I kind of thought maybe it was a defensive wound from Martin from the first one. That was a defensive wound. Like that's that's why it's there. That, like he's he trying that. to. Yeah. And that's his defensive wound is he was able to get like a lick in. But they have to come up with a reason for why he has it. It was an accident. They went over the wall. You can say anything about anything that happens out there and everyone's going to believe you because right, crazy stuff happens out there <laughs> the story's fine without the next scar mm. but when you see it you're like how did he get it and if that's the case when all the pieces kind of come and again th again this is the episode that keeps on giving once you're done with it and you get to roll it around in your mind on first on first watch 
and then get to see it over again. You're like, oh, he might have gotten that scar from his father. And the mission to go over the wall was to get rid of Arno without telling Arno, probably like, hey, you and me, we're going to find some berries. Arno, ah, 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 I'm your French father. And then he goes over the wall to get strawberries, let's say. And then he comes back and it's like, dad tried to kill me <laughs> for killing Martin. <laughs> so did we get a time reference on when they went? when daddy died and that's the thing not really because if that's if that's the case then that would set the premise that Arnold has been doing this for a while and maybe not just these few kids and it may have been small things like what we see in psycho killers is the animals may have been doing animals or he may have caught mama and son doing things mama and son don't not be doing but i can definitely see that that could have been the mission and arno got the upper hand and killed his father yeah exactly and that's exactly what i'm thinking but in terms of like the mother thing like i almost thought the hint that amanda was not right with what was going on also because i i do feel like I do feel a little bit more for Amanda once this episode's over is that like she's constantly chastising him or chiding him like, oh, did you wear sunblock, etc. And there's, there's, like there's less love. Maybe he them. went out intending to kill his dad. So the opposite is true, maybe true. And that's very well, Sharon, because if they had that funky, rela- funky, punky relationship, he not funky, be funky. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> Leave her name out of your mouth, Elisa. <laughs> okay. If they had this weird Oedipus relationship and he had this love of affection he could have been jealous of his father and wanted his father out so i think charity might be spot on as far as that goes and again that ties back to not only the oedipus complex but also to psycho where there was just this infatuation with his mother and it was always mother and honest to god i think if mother had just died and turned arno would have kept her as a walker yeah, could be like assuming that what you're saying makes sense. And I, I'm, you're starting to turn me around on this. And I almost wish this wasn't subtext. Like, I wish it was there was a little more to go on in terms of that, because then I'd be totally on board with you because it sounds good. It sounds real good. I'll say this in terms of like real life crime. You think of people like the co-ed killer Edmund Kemper had a really unhealthy relationship with his mother. And that's that is a precedent. Yeah, Ed Gein, that is a precedent in the data that we have when it comes to serial killers, that their mother can be sexually abusive to them and it can result in this extremely verbally abusive, you know, and usually dad is either really physically abusive or no longer in the picture. Mm-hmm. That tends to be a trend as well. So that doesn't surprise me. There's another angle that we can look at this from too, by the way. Arno is of a certain age, growing up in the apocalypse, and it's possible that he's doing all of this because there's a part of him that feels his childhood was lost lost too. And so that maybe because of that, he doesn't want these kids kind of like, like you said, Eliza, D with with Lydia, where D does not succeed in squelching Lydia and herself. Arno is making sure children don't have to grow up like he did, let's say. Where he was truly doing it out of mercy. That, like you said, he had lost his childhood where Dee failed in killing Lydia. You know, when she said, mm-hmm. I, I've thought about this world without you in it for so long. I never thought of you in it. Maybe it, it is, but it's still, it's on a very warped and depraved level. Well, like he you knows know, what he's he doing, do but it. can't he help himself. He doesn't seem to do it in a malicious fashion or a brutal fashion. He gives Right, that's the, what I'm saying candies that edibles probably like in uh evie evie joe yeah i almost thought it looked like um like a jam like a jelly or a jam or like a honey it was like a like a syrupy thing they were like candies so so they're the different flavors the peach lemon peach 
Reese. Flambez is strawberry. And uh, wasn't it in like a thing with a spoon? Wasn't he like spooning it out? It looked like he was using his fingers. Oh, right? I thought it was like a spoon. Like it was some I sort of that like syrupy thing. No, he just had a knife in his hand. You know, just, just plain old knife. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we could be taking it in the wrong direction. But I mean, no. it's um, and that's could be where that murder mercy thing comes from. I feel like I'm leaning more in your direction about the Oedipal complex because it's almost better left unsaid, right? And this way you can kind of go at it from all angles. Clearly he's doing this and he can't help himself from doing this, but he feels like he's giving these kids mercy. So like whatever the reason is, which was, is great to be able to speculate on. It's like the Walking Dead universe is the gift that keeps on giving when it comes to having some of these parts so vague that you can actually work on it in your mind and try to figure out what that comes from. But clearly it's definitely the Walking Dead style. Like, oh, people become twisted and don't follow the rules. Something that Devon mentions. Like, their laws exist for a reason, you know, aside from the comment that says, you know, except for the ones who make them. It's very clear that yeah, there are a reason why there are rules. And well, that applies to this story, too, even that side comment, Dave, because who makes the rules in this community but Amanda? And, and the rules do not them. apply to her own family. And she even right. says on that we can agree because she's oh, self-aware enough to know. Yeah, and I think it's telling that when when they finally make the realization and, and everybody's kind of come around that, okay, it is Arnold, but you hear Devon's speech of, you know, you guys, you don't have to be this way. And then Nora says, we can show mercy. And then my brain flipped. I thought, oh, okay, we're not going to be these people who put people in buses and crush them. We're going to show mercy. And then it was like, son of a bitch, murder is mercy. And what they did, the mercy that she showed was throwing him in the, or, you know, them ultimately putting him in the pit. There is no mercy. I have a question about that scene, because I really struggled with that very last scene. I struggled with that probably more than any other part of the whole I did it first, too. Yeah. Devon is saying, you don't have to be this way. We can choose how we want to be. You decide. Was that a plea for Arno's life? I think so. But what do you think, think, Lisa? Of saying that, you know, there's different ways of handling this. Part of the pacifist creed involves it's better to let one guilty man free than kill 20. Because it de- deals with the death penalty. Better mm-hmm. let a one guilty man free than kill 10 innocent. innocent yeah. So there's a possibility that we can rehabilitate. And you know, kind of going back to what I was saying before, like you draw breath, you have value in this world. Even if you're a shitbag like Negan, let's say, or or, or something to that effect. Okay. Even if you suck like Virgil. Okay. So then I you see. decide who you want to be. I see. Be. It was just, he was so un- incredibly unlikable. I was fine with his death. Because I struggle with this one particular thing, right? This like child killer? Not okay with me. This is just what my brain thinks in terms of the show. He was so well, miserable. Like I fans. wanted to relish in his death that's messed up and not how i would be normally but like all people are monsters right we just talked about that so like i, I, you, I don't know I, I never said i agreed with that by the <laughs> way you know, we, i don't they, think there was that backlash uh bridge when rick spared negan there was the yes. huge backlash mm-hmm. not only from, in contrast from the you know people there on scene with maggie and the but the 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 fan base they were like mm-hmm. why and I can see Arnold thinking, you know, your life will be more miserable if you're spared and, and kept in prison. Devon says, yeah. Right. That's kind of what Devon's 
thought okay. process is. You have so, to live with this. I didn't know if that's what it was or if it was like a plea to let him live and go. I guess that's what I kind of thought oh. was like, is he pleading to let him go? Like, this is ridiculous. And that's where it really like took a turn for me. I couldn't figure out what. So that makes sense if this is in terms of like letting him live versus like forcing death upon him. Well, so, let's let's revisit Amanda's rules, right? Amanda's rules or, or her, at least her philosophy was murder is mercy. Mm -hmm. And so... As you go through the episode, you realize, okay, better to kill them first before they kill you, which is something Rachel says often. Mm -hmm. <laughs> kill them before they kill you. Who cares about cyclical violence? But he is directly addressing that comment at the end. There is another way. You can be something other than Amanda's rules, which she herself didn't keep, essentially. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm hmm yeah. But it's also a bigger commentary on the Walking Dead universe with the gates, with the community. The world ending still affected them. People, or at least Amanda realized, and Arno maybe too, and he probably couldn't help himself. There is nothing really governing this world. Let's take religion out of this. But there's nothing really governing. There's no God watching. He wouldn't let this happen. There's no God watching us anymore. Let's say anymore. Let's say anymore, right? The end of days happened, right? I can do whatever I want. Nobody's going to stop me. And then you'd think the mom would stop him, the one who makes the rules, and even she doesn't stop him. There's nothing stopping me. So he's addressing that comment. Rules are only upheld by individuals who follow them, and it serves most. But it starts with one not following them. And you see this everywhere, right? One person drops trash, you're like, yeah, I'll drop trash too. Let's litter. Let's get and a little I also naughty. Like his, his Do you know what I mean, though? Yeah, and I also like Davin's comment in the when he's in the bed and they're having that conversation, you know, and it's like the guy shot, I didn't, I got shot in the leg. And right. he makes the comment of if you save your life, make sure your life is worth saving. That kind of flash forward to maybe Arnott was was not savable. But even he says he's savable. I mean, not savable. That's kind of like the wrong term, let's say. But in essence, like he deserves to live long enough to know what he did and that mm -hmm. everybody hates him. Right. Do you right. know what I mean? Well, you that's... can't you can't play God like that's the ultimate end to that. Right. You can't. Yeah, you yeah. shouldn't play God. It's not up to you to decide who lives and who dies. It's up to our maker, let's say. I did a lot of looking and researching on when everybody walked up and they turned palms up. Which, and what's funny about that is that you would think, OK, like bicycle signals, that means stop. Right. But they say we like so everything is reversed it's like mercy means killing uh right. stop means we like stop means go <laughs> it's just it's yeah, just strange so, you know the palms were always a, a judging gesture when you look at images of christ some of the older medieval images he has the one hand up and the one kind of down like blessings to the mm, christians mm -hmm. and damnation to the others and so when i was watching that because i saw their palms up like this i was waiting for them to turn them but i never saw oh, them turn because then that would like have this. been very very obvious a damnation gesture you know there's even more to that so there's two things that happened in that scene that are very interesting is one is in olden times, you never really show your actual hands because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. it was a sign of disrespect. It's the same thing as the inside of one's hat. Usually they have lice and it's not, it's not pretty, but they're like certain insults, right? One of the biggest insults, right? Is showing the hand, which is dirty. It's not generally not nice to look at. 
in the olden times. So you usually show, like you said, the top of your hand, because that's the cleaner part. You're working with your hands. It's just, you don't show a person the dirty hands. It's a very insulting gesture. Same thing with the bottoms of your feet. This is more a Middle Eastern thing now. In the bottom of your shoes, you, you, don't, you don't keep them upright to show the soles. You keep them down so that you're not insulting somebody by showing them the bottom, the dirty bottoms of your feet. The second thing is, and this is the height of insult, is when you spit on someone. You think... You know, in modern times, you think, oh, spitting, it's just nasty. Don't do that. You're showing the most, the height of disrespect to somebody when you spit on them. Mm -hmm. I thought in those instances, it says so much. The lengths to which people will go to not only accuse you and, and condemn you, but also to hate you with every fiber of their being by giving you this insult. And in French culture, this is the height of an insult when somebody spits on you. You don't do that. It's like somebody, it's like punching somebody in the face. You don't do that unless you hate somebody to, to no end like a closed fist punch. When I was thinking about the palms and their showing of the palms and all of them kind of doing that low, but it made me think of Pilot. Bridge. Conscious? Yes. Bridge, remember? When he washed his hands, mm, he showed them yeah. to the crowd, yeah. basically showing, we are, we are clean. I am clean of my judgment against this man. I also got that feeling that they were saying, we are clean of our judgment against you. We showed, we have no blood, no innocent blood on our hands against you. And that you, you do. are ah, guilty. Interesting. This is just to give people who don't know what you mean. So Pontius Pilate is who basically betrayed, betrayed Christ, essentially condemning Christ no. to the cross. No, the people did. This. The people he did, did not so want to. He did not want to, at his wife's behest, did not want to pass judgment to have Christ crucified. Mm -hmm, okay. And he basically said, I'm washing my hands. I will let the people choose. He gave the people two choices. It was you could condemn Jesus Christ or you can condemn this man who is definitely guilty and has done a ton of horrible stuff. Mm -hmm. Barabbas, here's your choice. Who would you like to condemn? This horrible guy that I'm telling you did everything that you think that he did and he's horrible and he's he's a murderer. Or are you going to condemn this guy over here? And the, people are like, and, and the people are like, kill him, kill Jesus. Like, and he's like, I can't, I'm no, I will have no part of this. I'm wiping my hands. I'm doing what you asked, but I this isn't on me. And they right. would have done the exact same thing to Devon had Garen not spoken up. They still would have done that. And so I see a lot of parallels there too, Bridget. Yeah. Yeah. And Pontius Pilate, I mean, he's not 100% not guilty Kosher. in this situation. <laughs> right. That's where I was getting that was other comment from. He was a coward. He was a very passive when he shouldn't have been. And, you know, there's, he still there's, was passive. He chose like this moments. weird democracy. Yeah. Because I often wonder about what happened to him after that. Because that's the end of his story for us. Once Jesus is dead, he's not really in in the story. Maybe there's a mention of him after that, but he, it's like that's really the end of what we know. Right. And so I've I've always wondered like what happened to him after. What that. happened to that so guy? I'm just like curious. His wife slapped him afterwards. I looked up the woman's name on the tombstone, and she was actually a trauma psychologist, Christine Cher, S C H E R, and she was a psychologist. And one of her fields was in trauma. Huh. She died in like twenty seven, I believe. I saw of twenty seven years. No, she was, I think, from California. But I knew when I saw that name, it was just kind of so one funny. of those things that was like. That's got to mean something. And so when I went and looked her up and it was she was a psychologist in trauma and I was like, hot damn, you know, and that goes along with what you're talking about, Bridge, about the trauma and how it 
changes and warps people sometimes. Mm-hmm. But was this one of your Mikey insights? Also? No, no, okay, this was a been, me insight. He would have been like, oh my God, I think I'm in love with you. I know. Elisa Jones. No, I, I found, <laughs> I did that one and I did the Mikey. 3P. I dug onto that and I dug onto the strawberry. I dug deep into that. Le phrase. And I found out that when, with the Acadians, that when you were baptized, you were giving the name of a saint mm-hmm. as part of yours. And there was part of a your baptism name. There was a William. Uh-huh. There was a Saint William Arnold. He was actually killed in South France for being a heretic, but they called him the Inquisitor. Interesting. Like, like, um, basically, the was this guy the the old Frenchman? He sounded like he was the leader. Like mm-hmm. a, maybe a man that was kind of like like an advisor or something like that. By the way, who's played by Andrew Tickle, who I've had some really great conversations with. He actually posted a picture in my DMs on Instagram of one of the cemetery scenes at night, one of the one of the night shoots that he edited oh, down cool. a little bit to kind of make it more visible. He's such a sweet guy too, and um, so he so he he played the the older gentleman who's yelling at Devon. <laughs> And I wasn't ready for him, too. I didn't know he, he how big a party he was very convincing. He was a great actor because yeah. you really were like, this guy, yeah. man, he won't let up. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's like, he's going for it. <laughs> so. Have any of you guys taken the uh, Water Tower tours? I have not. Mm-mm, no. You know, I didn't know if you knew Stephen Sweet. Stephen Sweet, right. Yeah. I've, he's I've all met him. in this yeah. episode. Clip it up with the Sweets also, too. He is. Yeah, he is all in this episode. All in this. Yeah, he's everywhere here. He was one of the... The Klansman. Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah, he's got lots <laughs> of Klansman. I mean, like front line. I don't think he has any speaking parts, but he's like front line. One of the front line people in the crowds always. Oh, that's oh, maybe awesome. I'll post a screenshot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know there was a guy with a ginger beard, but didn't look like Steven. Mm-hmm. So like there must be another guy with a ginger beard like Stevens, Steven Sweets. So I guess <laughs> what is with the gingers in this in this French community? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> So strawberry is a symbol of righteousness. Man by his works brings excellent fruit. Not only does it obviously the pleasure and sensuality between Devon and Nora, but it's also a symbol of righteousness. I like that, which helps him narratively point out the fact that he was right this whole time, that he wasn't a killer. Oh, and you know what? Well, and then he also says, you know, that that shit does not belong in a salad, too. So maybe he's right about that as well. Although I, I have to say, like strawberries and vinegar, like uh, balsamic vinegar, a little sugar, a little salt actually tastes pretty good. Just going to say that out loud. It does bring out the flavor. <laughs> the Hanlon's new Superba poster that just before he has one of his flashbacks, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. when he's getting the glasses for the first time, apparently Martin's glasses, he sees the poster and he flashes back. But I looked up what the, the new Superba was by the Hanlon brothers. 1898, this poster was from. This is originally six brothers. In a uh, kind of like a uh, this is like a multi-talented uh, special effects ma- magic show sort of extravaganza. Like back then, this was your entertainment. If you lived in a rural community, you traveled to the city, you watched the Hanlon brothers do this new Superbo show. Now it was like magic special effects. It was kind of a macabre show too because it had like people being decapitated. There was a train wreck and smoke and waterfalls. There were acrobatics, a lot of acrobatics, pantomimes, dancing girls, but essentially it was a show without any dialogue. Kind of goes hand in hand with some of the clown shows as well. Like there were a lot of pantomime and everything is more like acted out rather than spoken. Interesting about thing about that is that there were originally six brothers, but one of them falls due to head trauma and dies. No, nah, he doesn't die from the trauma. He has this massive brain injury. 
and eventually kills himself. By the way, the, the accident that he falls from is called the leap for life. Because of this accident, just as a side note, the Hanlon brothers themselves invented the safety net for acrobatics mm. and further develops a version of this for the fire department, urban fire departments, and eventually sell, uh, gives the patent to the New York fire, New York city fire department too. So they own the patent on fire, firemen, safety nets, etc. So interesting little factoid. Oh, they also happened to have invented the, uh, what's called the Hanlon brace braces. And what those are, are the, the you, know, you ever see a, a, a musical or play production that involves a rotating stage? Yes. They invented that, essentially, for their, for their La Superba show. That's Very cool. cool. That's pretty cool. And they were French, correct? No, they were, they were based in Cohasset, Massachusetts. They were actually Irish immigrants. The father was oh. a Shakespearean actor called, from Ireland named Tom Hanlon. Okay. So they emigrated to the United States and then and eventually, by the way, you know, the father passes. They are commissioned to like a protege and the protege saw that these gentlemen, these brothers were naturally gifted in, in terms of strength and flexibility, endurance, etc. They said, let's open this extravaganza feats of strength and, and acrobatics and magic work and pantomime. And this is immense, all encompassing narrative show, like with little skits, essentially. Mm -hmm. to, and, and also, again, like I said, macabre. So. Nothing right. without the Walking Dead little flavor in there. But yeah, they were actually referred to as the fathers of musical comedy until vaudeville supplanted them mm. eventually. And also the deaths of uh, the two main brothers named uh, George and Edward. Because vaudeville was smaller, smaller stage, skits that were less elaborate. You know, it could be just two people on the stage narrating something that didn't have to involve all the props, as many props. Still had right. the dancing girls, but... <laughs> But yeah, smaller acts, you know, you could take everywhere. It's not as elaborate. And actually, that's the reason why they started to taper off, too, because they would keep recreating all these set pieces from scratch every year for their tours. Mm -hmm. So like, they, it's just too much work. So people dying and leaping off, uh, you know, <laughs> the leap for life and killing, you know, killing their brother. So yeah, yeah, I could see how it would die down eventually. So <laughs> But, you know, they, they're gifted. You know, they brought a lot to uh, what we now know is musical theater and theater and, uh, and life-saving. So that's it's kind of a cool thing. The head trauma link is definitely linked to Devon and his head trauma. But I just kind of liked all the other factoids that came along with that. There's so much symbolism. I sit there and I wonder, when they're writing these episodes or any episodes for any of these shows, Michael did say that I was on cue with some of the things that they were aiming for, the mob mentality, the outsider, the strong, heavy use of the noirism. But I wondered, you know, do they think of things like that? Like, you know, I looked at the strawberry and I went, you know, there's a, there's got to be some symbolism. And not only was it the strawberry with the symbol of righteousness, but if the one that he gives to Nora is dirty. So it's like it's a perverted, dirty righteousness in that community. And he even says, you know, you ruin it with the vinegar. And so it's like <laughs> the strawberries there, you know, they ruin that purity because of the well, vinegar, the vinegar ruins within, the purity, their, right. within them. Yeah, that's, you know, that's that's very interesting. Maybe you're right. Maybe the, the like the the bitterness and the tartness that comes with the vinegar ruins what what's actually already great. All I thought of was the fact that strawberries, like in the wild, do not grow to be that big. No, <laughs> that's no, all no. I could think of was that thing was freaking monstrous. Hey, <laughs> but just, just like the trench in uh, 
in that last episode with uh, Amy and Dr. Everett, you know, the like fruit, when left to their de- the fruit, the fruit just gets bigger. 10% yeah. bigger. <laughs> Big, yeah, because there are no, the, that's the no humans. Fallout. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah mutated I strawberries. It. I like that. Yeah. Well, they are allowed to naturally mutate. When I saw group shots, I stopped and I looked at the group. I panned the group there. I wanted to see if there was any other black people. Yeah, in there the were. Community. Okay, so I wasn't the only one that was looking for the racial undertone. It just happened to be, right? Well, mm-hmm. and but the, you have to also remember that like the Acadians were ethnically French, you know, from mm-hmm. back mm-hmm. then. So like they so, like, kept even to their if it own. had been, yeah, even if it had been like a white actor, it's still the same predicament that they're presenting that whoever was going to come in there, whoever was yeah. going to come in there was going to be an alien. But but yeah, and, and I 100% agree with you, Bridget. Mm-hmm. But it was in the back of my mind a little bit. Like, cause well, I think they really hammered well, it home that way, right? You can't help but not think, okay, he's the only black, like you're like, he's the only black gentleman in, in, in the entire group. And, oh, and of course, he's the outsider, which is an additional pressure. It's like, oh, yeah. yeah. So they're out to get him because that's scary. And that's scary. That yeah. is super scary. And it, it occurred to me that that could be the case. But I instantly like thought of, okay, the Walking Dead universe, people tend to not, and and this would be like a first in any of the wars and conflicts and, and meeting weird people along the way that any like racial element would come into this universe, let's say, or, or twist this universe. So I wasn't ready to go that way, but it, it, it instantly evoked, like you said, cause you said Klansman earlier and I was like, oh yeah, I kind of thought that for a hot sec until I remembered what universe we're in. And, and well, so. and, and I agree. I don't think that they would do that, but it, it's, it's like Bridget it's said, there. It's that outside element, because I'm sorry, but when they were chasing him through the woods with torches, Oof. my mind went back to Jim Crow days. I mean, of chasing these guys through the woods with dogs and ooh. yeah, you know, you think about Medgar Evers and Emmett Till and, you know, they're guilty for nothing, but they're going to, you know, kill them. And, yeah, the Salem witch trials. How many women were hunted down and not even witches? That obviously then was such an intentional choice because you think if we're looking at the the time period in which this is really focusing on, you know, the, the film noir period and we're trying to do this throwback to like the things of, of old, this was an issue that was happening in America. So like this must have been intentional. It had, I mean, I just felt I just felt it was that was instinctually what I felt in my gut is this is such a throwback to that period of being accused by color and by not being by birthright. Right. Yeah. You by know? birthright. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. And, well, and so there's two other things and that's um, absent any information. One could be accused of thinking that. But then what sold that imagery were the handcuffs because they weren't like police officer handcuffs these were like you have to use a screwdriver and and, and screw the, the the chains in you know like and, and they looked like kind of like the old shackles right let's say mm-hmm. so that's that's what kind of sold it for me like who would do this why would they shackle them to this dead body etc so you're like thinking to yourself did i kill her and they're going after me by virtue of the fact that i'm chained to this woman and of course it's a woman and i'm a black man and that's often what we get accused of back in the south is wanting to chase white women Right? Well, he, so, like, handcuffed him, he handcuffed himself to her before she got killed. Yeah. 
Well, we didn't know that. That's what I'm saying. Like in oh, and the oh, onset, yeah. you're like yeah. absent all that information with right, the chains. Right, right, you're right, like, right, right. what's happening here? Is this the Walking Dead universe circa the early Jim Crow era <laughs> or later? But, but it, it could be. I mean, you know, I, it, it would not surprise me for the writers and the directors, you know, Channing and, and Michael and everyone else to say, you know, these that, are right? these are issues that we face. Well, and what was it, Michael? His exact words. I said, I think some people have a problem about it about the episode because they want all the walkers. When in fact, death of society and death of the moral compass is all it's part the of the notion of an apocalypse. That's what I said yeah. to him. He goes, that's the reason the show is a massive success. The larger, more important themes. Walkers only represent impending doom. It could have been a flood. That right. you know, uh, pressure wipes right. out, you know, society, and so, you know, it wouldn't surprise me for them to look at issues that are relevant today. And I'm sorry, but things have kind of started to flip. We've we've seen some of the that Jim Crow mentality come back in the past five years, and so it wouldn't surprise me for them to address it. The guilt by birthright, guilt by color, guilt by not being who you are. It's that mentality of if you're not from here, then you are the goat. You are the one that we will sacrifice. Tale as old as time, earlier than the Old Testament, let's say, of the suspicion of the outsider. In fact, like, I mean, the, the Old Testament talks a lot about not looking unfavorably towards the widow, the orphan, and the, uh, the outsider, let's say. But outsider meaning outsider who came inside, meaning... And which is perfectly describes Devon. The term in Hebrew is ger. Ger means stranger, let's say, right? But mm -hmm. in terms of the ger itself, it means, no, no, they're not a stranger. They adopted your religion. They may not have been born into it. They like were Devon, grafted. yeah, he, he was grafted into society. Amanda was widowed, okay? Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. orphan, technically Arnaud is, well, no, Arnaud isn't orphaned, but hmm. Uh, but many people were, apparently. And then the Gare is, is Devon also, like the outsider, right? And, mm -hmm. oh, it's the first one you suspect. And he says that, you know, you would have more than and then another child would have gone missing. And then, and that plays to not only that, that whole ideology of the outsider, but it also shows kind of a, a reflection of our judicial system. You know, there are a lot of people in prison who are innocent that just were arrested because, well, we need somebody to arrest. And, you know, you're kind of the stranger in the crowd. And so you're going to be, you're the it. Yeah. the it, Well, and the, it, it kind of goes back to D, right? The it that I was trying to save you from, et cetera. Like, okay, might as well put you down before the it gets you, right? Mm -hmm. But And it goes to one of my earlier points and Devon being a pacifist and better to let one guilty man free than let 10 innocent people die under the death penalty. And what mobs become ultimately, right? Are these the mob justice? Because there's no real rules. Rules are what you what individuals hold up and decide to hold up. Let me, just on the note of that, I went to a wedding last night and it was never more prevalent that like norms start eroding once one or more people start allowing them to erode. And as I was sitting in the back and, you know, a wedding is kind of like a solemn event. You're here for the couple who are, in this case, getting married under God, etc. And there are so many weddings in the Jewish community and that they happen during the week because the weekends are full up, et cetera. And like there's this community. When I say community, I shouldn't say community. Like it's massive. It's just, there's just, everybody knows everybody sometimes, but then nobody knows nobody. But there are a lot of weddings that happen every single day. It's very common. And so 
when it becomes so common and you have this cousin getting married or this friend or friend of friend or community member, et cetera, it's like you're all going to everybody's weddings. Like how many weddings have you gone in your lifetime? You can count probably on two hands, right? I can't. It's innumerable. I can't count how many weddings I've been to in my lifetime. So it's because y'all have good parties. <laughs> well, and that we breed. Okay, let's just put it out there. We breed. So what ends up happening is that you get normalized to it. You go to this wedding, go to that wedding, it starts to mean less and less. And so what ends up happening at these weddings, it becomes what I referred to it last night, it's like a social club. People are talking in the back, people are standing off to the side, having full conversations. I had a guy behind me talking on his cell phone while this whole thing was going on in front of me. And it got to a point where like the din was loud enough that nobody said anything about because the couple and the families are normalized to this as well. And so I'm sitting there as a stranger, observing all this behavior going, this is too much. The wedding was for my boss's daughter. And this is a man I've grown up with since I was a child. And I said, dude, I'm just telling tell you this right now, for you, I wanted to, I wanted to beat a motherfucker. So it's just like, but how do you beat all the motherfuckers, right? And this is my point. That's the thing. How do you beat all the motherfuckers who are doing this, right? You can't. You can't. The second you become a Karen to one, they're all like, what are you, what are you doing? We're used to all this. But do, but do you know what I mean? You're the Karen in that scenario because you're like trying to stick up for what's, what's right by the couple. And, and, but like if everybody's doing it, you've already decided how you want to be. Society erodes. This is like the, and imagine there's no like moral authority, a universe with no moral authority. How quickly does that crumble? You have to decide. You, you as an individual have to decide who you want to be. Uh, yeah, Sharon says strike one down and two spring up in their place. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> you'll get murdered, murdered. Mm. So I don't know. I mean, it just made me think of that and, and how quickly we can all fall prey to just letting it go, letting it all go, letting all the norms and, and just doing what we want. And don't so, judge too quickly. That's another factor, too. Don't judge yeah. too quickly to that, which, you know, what is it they say? We are we are most afraid of that, which we don't know. And so I think it's just a matter of just because you may not know someone or something to not pass judgment. My parents got very racist after 9-11. If you even looked Middle Eastern, they would not get on a plane. And I've got still have family that will not get on a plane if there's someone who is wearing the traditional Middle Eastern headdress or wear. That's where you see even today our society as with these folks. They didn't know him. It's easy to pass judgment. It's easy to pass on the judgment of another to someone that we don't know. And it just made me think about that so, so deeply of they didn't know him, but they were able to just automatically accuse him. And I see that with my folks. No, not every Middle Easterner flew a plane. And I was real quick to tell my mom, who's very Christian as well, Mom, what do you think Jesus looks like? He's not blonde hair, blue eyed. He's going to look more like these people you are refusing to get on the plane with. Okay, he's kind of got a nose like mine and big beard. Yeah. I, don't mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever it. seen the, the like, it's probably real short about yeah. me, my size. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. But I mean, that's, you know, that's what I tell her. I said, you know, yeah. you're passing judgment because you don't know. And it's so yeah. it's easy to put all of that stuff on to other people. And we all do it too. I mean, to varying degrees. And we try to say that we. And this is like, this is human psychology 101. Like we try to be that Good. self that forgives the stranger or like, but when we, you know, 
when faced with like lizard brain mentality, like when it happens all at once, sometimes, I mean, most times we'll forget and uh, we'll jump to our base instincts. We try not to. And because the opposite is is worse. Like we all have biases and that's, it's a part of how you grew up and the people you grew up around and the people you've been wronged by in the past and and trauma and everything else, you know, like all of that contributes to the biases that you hold. The thing is, like, if you're truly trying to be a good person and and try to to move above that is just to know that those exist and to just try to be as careful as possible as you can to, like, step around that and make decisions not based on that initial, like, knee-jerk reaction, right? Right, right. to quickly shift right. your perspective yeah. to, to assess the situation in a way that doesn't frighten you, let's say, or whatever, yeah. initially frighten you, right? And, you know, did, were these kids not missing before he ever got there? That's so the thing, like, you, they were, obviously, because of the glasses. These yeah. kids so were like, going missing long before. Who were y'all blaming then? How many people have y'all killed off thinking, oh, it's this, it's, you know, maybe that's why there were so many, many women and not so many men. <laughs> You know, or y'all maybe. just like randomly saying, hey, maybe. we think you did it. Well, maybe it was any outsider, any outlier mm, came into be. the club. That's, you know, that would have been another interesting element that would have added a lot more flavors that had that they had been accusing the outsiders each and every time. Which, okay, the thing is, to slap me once, shame on you, slap me twice, shame on me. They wouldn't have even brought him in had he had they been doing that like okay we're not accepting any outsiders you're gone you know like so i don't know that it could be the case that they would have even let him in the first time so let me turn all of this narrative all the things that we're saying on its head the irony of this community shunning the outsider is the acadians what were they they were shunned why because they wouldn't be loyal to the crown the british crown right so they were the outsiders. They were kicked out. They were forced out based purely on their ethnicity. This is the excuse that we used uh, in the States for the Japanese when we were facing off against them. Okay, we're going to put you in internment camps because anyone who used Japanese could turn against us. Same thing with the British crown. They did it first. So fuck you. <laughs> they ousted all the ethnically French people and they became the Acadians in the States because uh, they had nowhere else to go. Ironically, they shunned the outsider when they themselves were outsiders. They were ousted from their lands, let's say, in New France. That's what I love about all of this. And I felt like that came, that went into Devon's speech at the end. Like, you decide who you want to be after being who you were, let's say, mm-hmm. back when. And Amanda trying to remind me, oh, it's, 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 sometimes I forget we are in America, but then somebody comes to you remind me. And then she, whatever, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> That's why I thought maybe there had been other outsiders because she said that every time I forget someone comes along and it's like, and they probably true, have, true, they probably true. have Americans in their midst too. That's probably why like they're people in their community that integrated in because they had to have, it just, mm-hmm. just doesn't make sense that they stage, although their clothing might suggest otherwise, but then like kind of going to Elise's statement earlier, they could have maybe gone back to some old ways and maybe some old traditions and old customs and go well, kind of like a key to the future. We, they went back to sawmills and, and uh, grain silos, you know, you know what I mean? Like the going back cause those worked absent technology, yeah, let's say. That's what you're going to have to do to move forward. And if you go out, especially into those, the Mennonite and Quaker, more so the Quaker communities, they're very standoffish. The, the Mennonites are the are Amish, the Amish, the Amish, you Amish, mean. Yeah. Amish Quakers are Quaker, Amish and Quaker. But then there's a group of Mennonites as well. And the Mennonites, Mennonites use technology. Mennonites have vehicles, but the Amish and the Quakers they don't. 
So, and they're very standoffish. To Quakers the, to, now do. Uh, oh, do they? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Quakers now are, um, their churches are called like the, the gather, they're like gatherings instead of services. And it, it's like the friends of or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. Friends of something. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. That, yeah. the Quakers are very open. Um, the Shakers would have been similar to the Amish. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and the Quakers are a lot like Buddhists now because you could be a Jewish Quaker and you could be a, yes, a they are, um, Muslim Quaker. They're very it's, open. It's, it's all like Buddhism too. Like, oh, I'm a Buddhist Jew. You know, like so. It's like a Unitarian Universalism. Yeah. Like yeah. they're really open. It's a we accept everybody thing. Yeah. 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 It's more like an add on to your lifestyle. And that's the reason I really wanted to go and look at the history of the Acadians and see if they had any connection to that. But it was, it was, from what I could see, it was Catholicism. But there, there are a lot up in that area. There are a lot of Mennonite and Amish communities up north. In the strawberry flashback, the one where it was raining and clear, and he brings her the strawberries, there's a song that's playing called Le Complaint du Soleil. It's the sun's complaint, really. <laughs> so it's by Laura Cahen. And I could do the French. I won't probably butcher it, even though I took so much French when I was younger. It essentially boils down to the sun dominates all. The sun flies over all of us, so it's everywhere. And uh, the sun devours me. When the dawn comes, it calls me. The sun still knows. The sun still knows what to do now. Wake me up. The sun will drive away the pain. It will even blow blow away the wind. But caught in my big kite will come from time to time to lose me. So it's, so essentially, the sun's always here, except for when it's not. <laughs> like it's, it, it can even drive away the winds. You know, like the the wind can be blowing and it's still too hot out. It could be the source of my pain. It could be the source of easing my pain. You know, the sun could be a lot of things. So I love how that kind of refers to, in a sense, Nora. The very thing that I grew to love about being here is the very source of my pain by the end of it. The song is a little bit foreshadowing, in a sense. The song ends with these two lines. Le soleil est est moins fort. The sun is less strong out. And depuis que tu dors, il sommeille. Since you sleep, he sleeps. The woman singing the song directly directly ties it to a person. Essentially saying, when you are less strong, where your feelings are less strong for me, you know, I feel less strong. When you sleep, the sun sleeps too. So like the source of my pain and my joy is sleeping. It's a good parody of the relationship of Amanda and Arnaud. Amanda and Arnaud. Okay. Yeah, and Arnaud. Can explain that? Yeah, their relationship together. When you sleep, I sleep. The sun, with each play, other? On the word, no, the play on the word sun. And, oh, yeah. okay. Oh, the sun don't, yeah, that's interesting. Like the English translation, sun is the sun. Wow. And, and in that sense, it's not even romantic. It's like, you know, you're my everything. You're my sun, etc. You know, mm-hmm. when, well, when you feel pain, Oedipus, I feel pain. Yeah, and that's the yeah. Oedipus, yeah. That's a very you know, good And if, and if you, you see tying it two people together, you know, if you sleep, I sleep. Although the song is playing while Devon is giving her, giving Nora the strawberries. Up. But mm-hmm. I, that's honestly, that's fine, too. I, I, I like the <laughs> way you twisted that. That's kind of good. <laughs> My twisted mind. The vinegar makes the strawberry taste bitter. Mm, not good. Mm. Mm-hmm. Not good. I don't like. <laughs> okay, the piano flashback was very interesting to me as a person who plays piano. How when I heard him play piano, I heard this just sounds really good. <laughs> like it's, and he's like, oh, it's very bad. I'm like, first of all, shut the fuck up. <laughs> second of all, but, but the second time when I watched it, it's perception. Like Sharon, said, the tying could be perception. You perceive that because you didn't play it exactly like she played, that it was bad. 
But when I hear it, I hear it's good. It's just different. You just have to believe that that's good. And as they're playing, I'm like, this sounds really good. I'm, it's not the best, but it, right. it's not bad. Keep going. On top of like the romantic overtones, the undertone of it is also good. Like you may think you're bad. And I feel, I feel like we brought this up in one of these episodes in something that we just recently edited, that you believe you're bad. And then you just have to believe that you're good. Oh my God. No, it wasn't any of that. I'm sorry. So Sharon D is in charge of the clips. She decides what we clip out of each episode. And recently she pumped out a bunch of clips from past episodes. One of them was Raising Hope. The clip was called Raising Hope. And it was the season, sorry, the season finale of uh, The Walking Dead World Beyond's first season, right? And in it, we describe Hope having experienced trauma, feeling like she could never be good, no matter what she did. As much as she learned to tried to screw around, it's the reason why she screws around. She's like, I'm never going to be good. So why not lean into the bad? Be pull pranks, uh, run kegs and, and, and brew beer and be a pain in my father's ass, right? And so if you're bred to feel like you'll never be good, then of course that's what you're going to be, no matter what you do. It doesn't mean that you're not intelligent. She was always not regarded as the genius slash overachiever that Iris is, even though by the end of it, you realize they're about the same in intelligence, but Hope is pretty intelligent. And that's whom Leo was talking to the Civic Republic military about, which is why they want to capture Hope rather than Iris. As it dovetails back to this episode, Devon could easily see himself as bad. Also throughout the episode, he could have seen what in his mind's eye sees as like, oh, I maybe I am the murderer, but he never stopped believing in his heart because of this feeling he got from Nora initially that I could just, I could choose to see myself as good. At the end of the day, he, that feeling more than a memory stuck with him throughout the entire recollection throughout this episode. And I kind of like that theme that we decide who we want to be, even if we've done bad. And I, that's the theme that I really want to touch on most is that even if we've done bad, and there are tons of people in the walking dead mainly, but also in the walking dead universe that have done shitty, shitty things. And yet we still regard them as good because that's how they regard themselves as being even Negan to a certain extent, but probably Mm -hmm. to a large extent, because at the end of the day, we grant him mercy and he chooses. And then because of that mercy, just like Virgil and to a smaller extent and odd how those two, and it's not odd, actually, it's intentional. You know, we choose to save Negan and then Michonne, because of her sliding doors experience, chooses to save Virgil as a result. It's like, oh, you know. Because I didn't grant him mercy. That's how, listen, that's how Kirsten Acuna referred to it when she came on the show. So that's what I'm going with. I said, listen, I said dark mirror. Okay. I said it was a dark mirror reflection of her. Had she not spared Andrea, mm-hmm. this is how it could have turned out. Right. Oh man. So I just love that aspect of this, this story is that even if he had, and he did do the murder, which is why he's so hard on himself. Why? Meaning the walker is so hard on him. That's not what I do. And yet I did it. I accidentally caused the murder of Amanda. Let's say I didn't mm-hmm. mean to, but he's hard on himself. Absent his memories, he's hard on himself. So uh, I just love that little piece of that. If you can talk, you can walk. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's talk about the people. Yeah, I know you guys are raring to go. So um, two bits of evidence and I'll let, I'll let you guys play. One is he's on his way to Montreal. The evidence that we have that he's on his way to Montreal is that his sister, I guess, is going to be his sister in the photo, is wearing a McGill sweatshirt. McGill is obviously in Montreal, Canada. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's from Canada. I think he was on his way to Canada because he doesn't know any French and Montreal is a French-speaking province. So you, you would know French if you're from Montreal, right. basically. Second clue, obviously, that we need to talk about is the PPP card that he seems to have. Oh, I'm sorry, there's a third bit of evidence that might not be in your head. 
I ran into a not-so-nice guy in the woods. He chose not to fire. Bad dude decided to fire. Now, he may not have had this card on him before, and he may have gotten it from the not-so-nice guy. I could play. pass card. Okay. 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 Now, it, on the one hand, on the one hand, it could be that this just illustrates his level of pacificity, right? Even in faced with faced in this dire situation where even if the option of killing and not killing is not 100% clear, he chooses not to kill. Well, he could have died. And then that's how he ends up with this group. Had he not, sh- had he shot the guy, he would have never maybe made it to the group and had this experience. But then again, what if the not so nice guy was either Heath or somebody of that group who owns the key that picked him up from wherever they were? So... Do we ever see the peas anywhere in in fear or the world nope. beyond? I would have no, reported on it because there was <laughs> there was a theory floating around that it was like the initial incarnation of the three circles was the three peas, and that they had done that, planning on that becoming the symbol, and then it didn't. They reworked it or whatever, but that was all like conjecture. You know, want to know how I strike that down immediately, and it can't be that. Well. That technically, okay, that was in season seven. In the midst yeah. of season seven, six. Yeah. Yeah. seven, six. Yeah, actually season seven. I want to say season seven, that's right. Season seven, because season six. right into season eight, we already see the three circle symbols mm-hmm. on the can of pears that uh, Jadis opens after her, her whole community is junked in the uh, trash compactor, let's say. So I don't think, I think if they would have modified it, I don't think in, they're bringing it back, obviously. So yeah, so either right. way, that's not what they're saying now, even if that right. was the case at any point. Now, could it be the Primrose group, though, is another question. That was the only thing I could come up with that was a P. Mm-hmm. I had heard that there was the conjecture of, but I may have read this somewhere, Padre, Portland, Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> that was a Sharon thing. Us. <laughs> By the way, it was Padre, it was Portland, Portland, Philadelphia, and Portland, Portland, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, we joked Actually, about it was Portland, 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 Portland. Yeah, yeah, Portland, Maine, Portland, Texas, and Portland, uh, Oregon. Have we looked <laughs> so up three, what the three P's are? I mean, like the literal three P's. in life. Yes, I typed in PPP Maine, um, Montreal. Nothing. Okay, no, so nothing. the three P's in sheet music. Oh, are okay. Pianoissimo. Pianoissimo. I guess what it means, very quiet. I wonder if it's some kind of an uh, Easter egg about the Whisperers. <laughs> that would be something. Or like, yeah, maybe this group is very silent and maybe has nothing to do with initials. Uh, they're just, and which is why he's so good at piano and he's just trying to flirt with Nora. But the, but the yeah, the three P's in sheet music are for pianoissimo, which means very quiet. And I just thought very quiet. Maybe it was just a a side nod to the whispers because we see it first in the walking dead episode seven. Right. And then we get what our introduction and yeah. yeah, to the whispers. Cause we don't really know who took Heath or we assume it was the CRM, but well, we assume someone took him, but there's also the theory that he left because remember he wasn't all in on all of this at that point in the story. He is upset because they've been looking forever and they can't find anything, remember, because they're, they're mm-hmm. out looking for food. And so the idea is, like, he could have just left on his own. That's why it's, like, so vague. It's, like, intentionally vague because you're left to wonder, like, was he taken? Or did yeah. he just yeah. say, 
I'm out. Screw this. Out of here. Yeah. Um, right. So and the PPP card is left with Tara, right? Uh, it's on the ground where the RV was parked. Yeah. Right. And yeah. it go and we we left with nothing. The interesting thing about connecting Heath with Devon is that Heath at one point was more of a pacifist. Like, yeah. don't kill them before they kill you. Mm-hmm. Devon seems to be the same way. Now, maybe this group is monitoring pacifists. <laughs> pacifists, pacifists, pacifists. Pacifists, exactly. <laughs> Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Uh, they watch a lot Sharon of Brady, Brady says Bunch. it pairs Pete's Paddlestar Galactica. <laughs> I was not going to read that out because it's one of those classic Sharon D's. I love it. <laughs> Dwight's fajitas. Fact. Dwight's fajitas. I mean, father. Black, black bears <laughs> are best. So I was so excited when this popped up on the screen, Dave, because I don't care what you say. I am dying to know what happened to Heath and it still bothers me. But listen, but yes, I will say this. Okay. I was one of the people who asked about Morgan always until he came Mm -hmm. back because Uh it bothered me so much that the thread was left untied. Right. It just drove me insane. And so this is one of those things where I'm like, this has to be resolved. It cannot handle this if this is not resolved. And that's not fair because we're in an apocalypse show and like things aren't going to be resolved. For sure. A lot of stuff has happened that's not resolved. But that's one of those things that Mm -hmm. seemed so intentional that I felt like there had to be something there. And also it made me happy because it's another one of these nods to the original show and to fear that we've been seeing in these episodes, which I've really loved that like, even though these are very different and they're not heavily rooted in the Walking Dead universe that we know, they still are because we're getting these little things right and i just love that these little nuggets that were left behind yeah i don't know what it means right the only other thing that we know about heath is that his name was written on the board at the commonwealth at the commonwealth his name is was it though yeah Yeah, his name is on his picture was not there no but it it was just like a note that said like heath there was no picture attached to it so was it in the actual episode or was it in the promos it was in the promo i think yeah, because Daryl's picture was on the board too. So. It may, you know what? No, it may have been in the episode, but I wasn't able to get a screen grab of it. I wasn't either, and I tried actually. There were some things uh, on the board that I actually did capture, but like nothing yeah. really went anywhere. It was yeah. someone looking for their Heath bar? And, and also, like uh, Heath, Heath is just a name too. Well, yeah, so, it is just a name. Know. It is just a name. But it was it was one of those things where we were waiting so long, and so then to see his name didn't seem like a coincidence right it just it mm. seemed exciting i'm not really sure what it means i don't have any theories on, on what it is or anything like that i'm just along for the ride and extremely happy and excited like i was just like i'm all in on this whatever this is aliza let me ask you a question how did you feel about seeing the key card i feel like we have some interesting gradients on how we feel about it well the first time it popped up i was like did i just see that and then when he was, you know, when he was in the bed and he's like, you know, my boot and they, and I'm like, oh, I did see that. What is that? You know, I want to, I want to know too. I mean, you know, is it Padre Portland and Philadelphia? Is it be quiet? And I don't Shut know. The fuck up. <laughs> I mean, I wonder if it could be. No, perhaps. but how do you feel about it? How, how do you feel, feel about it more, more than anything else? That's, that's all I care about. I right just, now. I want to know what it means. I just want to know what it means. I want to know where does it tie in? Or are the writers just fucking with us? So that's 
the thing that bothers me most is that you see it and you're, you're not going to know about it for a really long time again. So it's like, oh, here's a little, oh, we didn't forget about you. Maybe I'll take that as a grace, right? Oh, we didn't forget about this one factoid, even though Scott Gimple said, oh, it's important. Uh, believe me, five years later, like literally five years later, guys, more than five years later. So we're back where we started. We don't know anything more about this than Devon somehow has a key card. Could be he had it on him the whole time. Could be he got it from the bad dude he met, right? That's my what I'm going with. And he's on his way to Montreal to what I'm assuming see his sister who's away at college and just making sure he can get to his family. And I think that's probably where he's going to end up going further. Like he's like, maybe he stopped here and he just has to get to his sister. And then he ended up trying to form the family he chose. And what's interesting about that is the family he chose ends up rejecting him, which is unusual in the Walking Dead universe. Just like the last episode. There was one article that was written in 2017 about hypothesizing on what the the three P's stand for. This is the the comicbook.com. So but it's from 2017 when we first saw the key card. And he says the, the other theory is that Heath is leading Tara to his whereabouts. Because when working with computers, PPP is another name for point-to-point protocol. It identifies data link between two nodes and could identify the signify the term for Heath and Terra. And so could he be leaving these as a clue leading Terra to where he's at, randomly leaving them around, just like Morgan is notching arrows into trees? <laughs> but, you know, you, yeah. leaving a damn yeah. key card out in the middle of the woods, you know, it's... Hope you, no hope you know what this means, bitch. Like, right? <laughs> Did y'all discuss this before I started dropping these cards, you know? Um, We're forgetting the obvious, which is PPP upside down is 666. So go fuck yourself. So ooh, sign of the beast. The devil. <laughs> so, the devil. I don't like but it. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, at this point, I just want to know. I mean, I just want to know what it means. Quit. Yeah, it, so, I, know, I know exactly been, what it means. It means Scott Gimple is Satan. And I'm not falling for it. So, you know, I'm not going to get excited about it. <laughs> it's been myself. four years since we first saw it. It's been four years since we first five. saw it. It's been five, technically, right? Because okay, the year five. that yeah, five years shall not be named. Yeah, it's even worse. It's even worse. <laughs> Satan. I'm telling you, it's Satan. And his name, his minion is, well, let's not call Scott Kimple the, de- the, the devil. He's a demon. He's a demon. I mean, maybe Kirkman is the devil. He's the devil? Mm, we'll see. The sweet devil. He's the devil. Convincing the world he doesn't exist, but he left his mark on a key card. You know, it's the entryway to hell, which if we keep going with this madness, we'll all end up. Okay. That's how I feel about that. Because let me give you a little glimmer of hope because that's who I am at my core. I am an optimist. I I think it's further evidence that might mean that these stories continue in some form or fashion, that something must come out of this at this point. It might even come in a way that we didn't expect. And we're never going to expect it. We're not going to know what this is. They're going to make this up along the way because now we're off the we're we're off the page with this whole series, right? This whole Tales of the Walking Dead series. This is outside the lore of the comic books. There's no semblance of that anywhere to my knowledge. And so this whole PPP thing, that's completely off the page. Somebody would have found some sort of reference to that key card in the lore already. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm I, this again, I could be excited about this one specific thing, 
but I feel like let's, um, I feel like they've had five years to develop what that thing is and somehow integrate it into this greater universe. But, um, I guess let's see what happens until such time that we figure any of this out. The devil reigns. And if you like what you heard, <laughs> head over to ratethispodcast.com slash squawking dead. Five stars and eggplant is all we need to know that you love us or devil horns or a demon. That's fine. But tell us what you liked. Tell us what you didn't like. Tell us the devil's real. Tell us what we missed more than anything else. But tell us after every episode. And if you like what we're doing as a podcast and want to make sure you get your insights into these episodes and or want to be involved on how this podcast shakes out, well, head over to ko-fi.com, create a free account and follow us at ko-fi.com slash squawking dead because to attend these recording sessions is absolutely free. We just don't post these things on social media. It's for the fans who want to get more involved with the podcast. And you don't have to buy a coffee for 30 days of supported back content unless you want the unedited episode recordings. And you don't have to join a membership tier for as little as a dollar for that, plus Discord access, plus our love and devotion. <laughs> Again, for as little as a dollar, you can, you can have that extra little piece. But to attend these recordings, absolutely free. I've been your host, David Cameo, and I was joined by Bridget, ko-fi.com slash punkybrewster. That's P-O-N-K-Y-B-R-U-I-S-E-T-E-R. And Survivor's Tier member, Eliza. At Allegiance Jones 71 on Instagram and Jones AJ6 on Twitter. And of course, the inimitable, the typo queen, the <laughs> punny punster that is Sharon D in the chat, whom I love very much and was in my head in this episode the entire time. Okay. So, which fucked me up a little bit with the A train. Okay. It's not him as A train, it's Sharon D thinking of him as A train as she watch, watches that I thought of while I was watching. Oh, I bet Sharon D thought this joke. So anyways, I was very happy with this episode and I hope that I will be just as happy with what appears to be probably the weirdest of the Tales of the Walking Dead episodes in its sixth episode finale. Take care. We'll see you next week and can't wait. See you soon. Bye. And bye. Thank you so much for making it to the end of this episode, but don't go just yet. It's time to shout out our tier members at ko-fi.com slash squawkingdead. These are our Survivors and Whispers tier members whom generously support this podcast. And they are from our Survivors tier members, Ryan Hoke at RealRyanGM on Twitter, Linda Jennings, the admin of the Facebook group, Walking Dead is freaking amazing, FanArtLindy, ko-fi.com slash FanArtLindy, Jasmine, Jasmine.iec on Instagram, and of course, who attended with us Aliza Jones 71 on Instagram and Jones 86 on Twitter. And moving on to our Whispers tier members, we've got Yvette, that's at MRTMYVET on Twitter, J13 Voorhees on Instagram and Twitter, Sandy.D.Morrison on Facebook. Frosted Angel 67 on Twitter, at Tyler Philip Cox on both Instagram and Twitter, Aiden Atkin, that's ko-fi.com slash Aiden Atkin, and Judith.Morton on Instagram. Thanks so much for making it to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed it very, very much, and we'll be seeing you in the next one. <laughs>